Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. The Tri-City Valley Cats begin their 20th season in the Capital Region on Thursday. And Team President Rick Murphy will join me to talk about that. And the Associated Press NHL beat writer Stephen Wido will be on to discuss the surprise firing of New York Islanders head coach Barry Trotz. And we'll talk some Stanley Cup playoffs. The Union College men's lacrosse team will be hosting the second and third rounds of the NCAA Division III tournament Saturday and Sunday. The Dutchman will face John Carroll in the second round Saturday. To talk about that, along with the Dutchman season, is Union head coach Derek Witherford. Derek, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be on. Hey, great to have you on. Uh, how much are you guys looking forward to uh, this weekend? Uh, I mean, we got a home playoff game. This is what they played all all year and and came to Union for. So, um, you know, the guys are thrilled. Hopefully, the campus community is uh, getting really excited, just like we are. And uh, were you when the, the brackets was announced and the tournament came out uh, last uh, uh, recently? Uh, were you surprised you got a home game? Uh no, I, I think we expected it. Um, you know, we were we were hopeful, I should say. And um, you know, when our name got called on Sunday, um, the kids were relieved and and as I said, excited to, to host a home game in front of their home crowds, in front of their parents, and um, you know, and the community. So, uh, you know, it it was a culmination of the great season and a strong sowing. But we were just happy to get in. We don't we don't care where we played. So, what do you know about John Carroll? Uh, it's a great, great program with a proud tradition. Um, actually, a little funny story is Kevin Routenstrout, who played with me here at Union, um, was his captain of football and captain of lacrosse. It's his little brother is the uh, is the head coach of Carroll. So I, I know they're going to be well coached. Um, they got a bunch of tough Buffalo kids and some athletes from um, you know the Midwest. So uh, they're going they're going to be a tough tough school with you know great football program and athletic program over there in cleveland so um you know they're going to be a challenge for sure let's talk about the season before we get in uh, just uh, the expectations coming into the season what were they and did you at this point achieve that no no we're just getting started with our goals you know we we wanted to uh we wanted to win the league liberty championship um get a home game um in the liberty leagues which we did um, you know, but unfortunately we lost that first round, um, but we were lucky enough to get a pool C bid in the NCA. So, um, we're still alive with our ultimate goal and, um, you know, so, so it's really just getting started here, Ken. Yeah. The Liberty League, I mean, I, you know, watching it from afar, you see like, you know, a bunch of teams were stacked there at the top. Uh, it you know, basically came down to the final week of the season to decide who was going to be the, the top seed in the tournament. It's how competitive was it? Was this the most competitive you've seen in, in a while? Uh, it, it was great getting four teams in for the Liberty League. Uh, let me start by saying that those those teams all deserve it. St. Lawrence getting a bid, uh, RPI getting a bid, Union getting a bid. Um, you know, with with RIT getting the AQ, um, I think is really good for the league. I think this league has been this competitive for a while. Um, I mean, I'm glad we're finally getting the recognition. But 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 as you said, this year was a bear, and um, you know, I think they really. Um, it really showed week in to week out, and you know, even some of the teams that didn't make 
our league playoffs were up for NCAA bids, you know, with Clarkson being a great team and, and, and Ithaca as well. So, I mean, we could have got a couple more teams in as well, I think, and uh, I know they'd be doing pretty well here in the NCAAs. As you mentioned, uh, the uh, semifinal game against St. Lawrence did not go the way you hoped it would have gone. What did you learn from that loss, and uh, how much is it eating at the team as they get ready for Saturday? Yeah, I mean, it's a, a little bit of a bigger um, break than we have liked, but, um, you know, we I think we learned a lot about ourselves, and I think, um, you know, you can't beat good teams like St. Lawrence going on a 10-goal nothing run, which St. Lawrence did, did versus us. So, um, you know, we, we looked hard at the tape. We looked hard at, you know, how we coached that game and prepared for that game. And, um, you know, we think we actually got a lot better and learned a lot from it. So, um, you know, hopefully we can we can show that in St. Lawrence, uh, at um, John Carroll here. You guys have done pretty well against uh, ranked opponents this year, 5-2. and two. We, Does that give you guys confidence heading into Saturday? Yeah, I mean, the, the first of all, our league schedule is, is, is tough, and then I think we really challenged ourselves out of league and um, played some great teams, and, and we're lucky enough to come away with some wins. So uh, they're prepared to face these teams, and that's why we do that. So when we lucky enough to make the NCAs, our guys are ready to go and chomping at the bid and, and, and are ready for that. So um, it's, it's, uh, it should, this should be a familiar feeling. Talk about Peter Burns, named the uh... – Liberty League's Offensive Player of the Year. What has he meant to the team this year? Uh, he's really improved his game. Um, I mean, he went from our third attackman last year to being our uh, the Offensive Player of the Year in the league. So um, he's really worked hard, and I'm happy to see him rec- be recognized. Um, but, but we got three attackmen with 50 points on the team. Um, so PP would tell you, be the first one to tell you that, um, you know, the two seniors to the right and the left of him, um, really helped him get that award as well. Um, and, and that's um, Hayden Fry and Keaton McCann. Those two, the righty and the lefty, are really um, instrumental in getting him the balls in good spots. And then Peter has been lucky enough to just finish some goals and, and take advantage of, of, of some of the way defensive has been playing him. But, but he's a super athlete, skilled kid, and um, you know has really been putting the ball in the back of the net this year. Yeah, I mean, he's the first uh, player in uh, Union's program history to earn the uh, that award. I mean, how big was that for him to to uh, to do that? Huge, huge. I mean, this this a team and a culture really built on the defense. And um, and you know, Coach Gadino came over here. We've really started playing well offensively. And um, I, I think Peter Burns getting named Offensive Player of the Year just shows how how balanced we are on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. How important is it to take advantage of this tournament being on uh, your home field there at Frank Bailey Field? Yeah, I mean, it, it's important because it's win or go home. So if, if we don't win here, it doesn't really matter if we're, if we're home or not. So, um, you know, but we are comfortable. We get to sleep in our own beds. So it is a little bit of an advantage. But, um, you know, it, we don't care where we're playing. We're just happy we're here right now. Yeah. Well, Derek, I appreciate a few minutes talking about this. Uh, good luck this weekend, and uh, maybe a two wins will be in heading to the quarterfinals next weekend. I hope so. hope so. We're, t- hope we're talking next weekend. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate it, Derek. Thank you. Thanks. All Bye. Right, that's Derek Witherford coming up. We'll talk uh, Tri-City Valley Cats baseball with team president Rick Murphy. You're on listening to the Parting Shots podcast. All of us love sports. But not all sports are created equal. College sports have big budgets, dedicated alumni networks, 
and corporate sponsorships. Professional sports have even deeper pockets. Millionaire owners, lucrative TV and radio deals, and merchandise sales. High school sports have you. Everyone agrees high school sports give us plenty of reasons to cheer. And now's a great time for us to give back. Supporting your hometown high school won't cost you much, but it will go a long way to ensuring the games we love the most are here to stay. New York High School Sports. They're good for our kids, good for our community, and best of all, they're good for you. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Matt Callahan, Vice President and General Manager of the Tri-City Valley Cats. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schock. Welcome back to the podcast. The Tri-City Valley Cats are celebrating 20 years in the Capital Region this season. It's their second year in the Independent Frontier League after playing in the Major League Baseball-affiliated New York Penn League since their arrival from Pittsfield, Massachusetts in 2002 until 2019. On Tuesday, I stopped by Joseph L. Bruno Stadium and sat down with team president Rick Murphy to talk about the team's time in the Capital Region. Rick, appreciate you joining the podcast here. And it's 20 seasons now of Valley Cats baseball. Uh, reflecting on it, I mean, just how incredible has it been 20 years in the, in the Capital Region? It's It's been amazing. I mean, I you know, you think back to 2002, and it, it seems just like yesterday, but here we are in, in, you know, getting ready for our 20th season, and almost 3 million fans have come through the gates here at the Joe over the years, and we've built a, a really solid fan base here in the Capital Region. It's been a great market for um you know, when we were affiliated and now with the Frontier League, it's it's really been a great market for the franchise. Um, you know, I think back when Bill Gladstone and I were putting together the business plan for the Capital Region, and a lot of times you draft up a plan and, and you look back on it and say, well, you know, did did it fulfill what the plan was? And, and I can honestly say that it checked all the boxes when we put the plan together, and you never know that. But as I look back and reflect on the 20 years, it definitely was. Let's go back to 2001 when you came here to make the announcement that you were moving the Pittsfield franchise to um, Troy. This market had the, the Yankees organization here in the Eastern League and did not succeed. What made you think that you could succeed in a market that didn't uh, support the Eastern League? Well, you know, it's interesting because you always say the devil's in the details. But, it, you know, when I did I did some research on the Yankees when they were here and you know, I think a lot of it had to do with the facility. Um, they definitely had the talent on the field, being Double A in the Eastern League. But you also had to look at the duration of their season. They started in April, and you know, no matter what market you were in in the Northeast in April and early May, those are some challenging months. But when I looked at their attendance during the the, the summer months, they were they were pretty solid. So. Um, I think that the reason why the Yankees moved out of the market was that they had an opportunity to move into a new facility. With that being said, we had an opportunity to come into a brand new state-of-the-art facility that was going to be on the campus of Hudson Valley Community College. And for someone who called Bacona Park, which was historic, but it was dated, um, home for, for you know over a decade, this was an opportunity that we thought, one, the market size uh, was definitely big enough. 
uh, we felt that the New York Penn League and the tradition and the duration of the season really lent well to the high probability that we could average 3,000 fans a game. And if we could draw 3,000 fans a game year in and year out, we could be a successful franchise. And unlike a lot of new market teams, you know, they usually peak out in the first five years on their attendance and they taper off. We were the reverse. We were the exact opposite. I mean, we were continuing to grow in the first seven years that we were here to a point where we got to over 4,000 fans a game. So we had not only hit the goal of 3,000, we had exceeded it by 1,000 fans a game for a number of years. And, you know, that demonstrated that it was the right market for us. Yeah, you know, obviously the New York Penn League is not is, is a, de- a developmental league. It's not really about winning because obviously if it was about winning, the players would be staying here. They wouldn't be promoted. Was that a concern in this market, you know, trying to draw fans, uh, knowing that a lot of these players were not going to be here through the duration of the season? Yeah, I mean, when we had conversations with the Astros, you know, that conversation, is it about developing or is it about winning? And, you know, I had a number of conversations with the front office of the Houston Astros, and and they were confident and they felt that you could develop and win at the same time. And there would be player moves. Um, Obviously, the last, I would say the last five years we were affiliated with the Astros, you saw a lot more player moves over the course of the season. And I think the development model shifted. But, uh, you know, when I look back on it, I mean, to have over 100 players have played in in Tri-City that went on to play in the major leagues, you know, you're figuring, you know, three or four players a year, so, you know, you're looking at 15 to 20% of your roster is going to eventually make it to the big leagues. You just don't know which players are going to make it. Obviously, you know, you think that the first or second rounder has a higher chance of making it to the big leagues. But um, I think the message that we were just trying to convey here in the market was that, you know, have an opportunity to see future major leaguers, whether you don't have to necessarily be an Astros fan. If you're a Yankee, Red Sox, or Mets fan, you could see the future stars of those teams right here in the Capital Region. At what point early in the in the run here did you realize you had something special that the fans were taking to this team and enjoying the the atmosphere? And I mean, how important was it to make it a family affair and and, and you know keep the fans involved uh, while watching the game? Well, we knew that was important to to build, you know, to create an environment where fans were safe, that it was clean, it was affordable, and it was entertaining. And if we could check those boxes, we felt as though if if we could get someone to come to the stadium, and we were so proud of the stadium, it was state-of-the-art, that if we could get them to come to one game, we were confident in our staff and our operation that they would want to come back to another game. And over the years, we found that we weren't looking for a loyal fan to come to every game, although that would be great. We were just asking our fan base, because of the size of the market, if they could come to one to three games, we could achieve our goal of drawing and averaging 3,000 fans a game. And I, I have to tip my hat to our staff. Over the years, we've had some unbelievably talented you know, sports marketing executives that have not only, you know, cut their teeth here with with the Valley Cats, but have gone on and have, have had impressive careers in the sports management industry. 
But it was her dedication and commitment to the Valley Cat brand that I think stands out and, and made us successful over the 20 years. Yeah. What did Bill Gladstone mean to this organization? He, he, he was my partner. He was my mentor. He, he was the foundation. If you think about minor league baseball, a lot of times entertainment, what happens off the field oftentimes overshadows what happens on the field. And, and Bill came in, obviously he was a co-chair of Ernst & Young, um, highly successful and accomplished businessman. And he brought a lot of those practices to small a small business operation like ours. And, and I think that's something that, that – we to this day still carry forward how much has he missed oh he's missed every day i mean he he's you know his his seat's still gonna be out there in section 100 he and millie are were important part of of building the brand and you know every day we think of those guys you mentioned the players obviously we can go on forever but some of the players have made the mark in major league baseball like hunter pence a two-time world series champion jose altuve uh, looking back into some of those players, I mean, how important was it for them to get to the majors to prove to the fans here in the Capital Region that this is a, a good New York Penn League was a good league for developing the talent? Yeah, I think it brings credibility to to not only the the Valley Cats but the league and the minor league system um, when you show that the developmental system's working. Um, you know, the Penn League is rich in tradition, and for us to be a part of that and to be a leader, I mean, we were always in the top three in attendance. I think well-respected within the New York Penn League. We're recognized within the Penn League and also within minor league baseball on a national level. And I think that's a testament to Bill Gladstone and the way in which we operated our franchise. We always focused on the integrity of the game. We wanted to provide an environment where the players felt comfortable. They have enough distractions off the field. So if we could create an environment here at the Joe that was focusing on their development so that they could ultimately achieve their goal, which was to get to the big leagues. I mean, how important, I mean, looking back at how the Astros ended up developing, I mean, they basically, you know, went, had some bad teams for years, but they were developing the players starting here uh, with the Valley Cats and then eventually winning the World Series in 2017. Yeah, we can argue forever about whether it was tainted or not. We're not going to get into that. But uh, looking back and you know, seeing some of those players get there, and what did it mean to you? It was always nice in October to see to see former Valley Cats uh, on the field on the biggest stage in baseball and, and having success because – you could always think back to when they were starting their professional careers and they were here in the capital region and and you just had a small piece of that overall development and you want to share in their successes and you can because you were a part of it and you know you get on a spring training year after year and you have a chance to reconnect with 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 the former players and they always speak very highly and fondly of of the capital region and that makes you feel gratified to know that they they appreciated the time that they were in the capital region of course things have changed since um then the 2020 of the pandemic you know, shut down the season you guys and then major league baseball contracted minor leagues and you guys were affected uh first of all is there any news on the lawsuit is that still pending uh with major league baseball it's still pending there's no updates um yeah now you're part of the frontier league you're starting your second year in the frontier league uh, 
how much how much different is it to be an independent league? I mean, we had an independent league here years ago with uh, the Albany County Diamond Dogs and the Northeast League. I mean, is it as good as a Penn League? Or are you enjoying what's going on with this league? Well, last year was an interesting year because we were coming off the heels of, of the shutdown in 2020 and then with minor league baseball contracting, you know, with Major League Baseball and us having to find a home. So from December of, of 2020, when we got news that we weren't going to be part of uh, MLB's uh, revamping of the minor leagues, we had to find a league. We had to field the team. We had to find a, a field staff. So a lot's been going on in the last, you know, 16 months. So for us to um, feel the team last year, open up the stadium, and to still be viable, I think is a huge accomplishment. As we look at the upcoming season, um, you know, we were told going into last year that the play on the field was going to be a higher caliber than the New York Penn League, and it was. And it should be because we have more experienced players. Um, I was not prepared that we would have 10 players sign with major league teams last year. I thought maybe we'd get one or two. Um, but night in and night out, the play on the field, the, 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 the caliber of the play is, is at a higher level. I would say it's comparable to a double-A game, maybe high A, double-A caliber, night in and night out. We've got players that have major league experience. Um, the way the roster composition is now, you have veteran players. You have uh, players that are prospects. I mean, players that are looking for a second opportunity. With the contraction by major league teams, you know, it becomes a numbers game. Some of these guys are very talented. They have huge upside. But they're just uh, – it became a numbers game, and they were released by major league um, teams. So uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic as we go into this season – we have the right manager. Pete Incavilia is a—he's a baseball guy. He's—he's—he's—he's—he's he's a, he's, he's, he's a major. He had 12 years in the big leagues. Um, he's well connected. He runs the the product on the field um, the way we want it run. Uh, he wants to win championships, which is, you know, one of the goals, and and that's one of the you know things that he'll be evaluated on. But um, for us, getting used to the taking over the responsibility of the on-field has, um, you know, it's been challenging at times, but I think it's also been rewarding for Matt Callahan. And he's, you know, he's done a great job on the on the player contract side and working with Pete day in, day out, trying to um, put what we think is the best team and give us a chance to win the Frontier League Championship. Down the road, the future for this organization, do you, would you like to get back to involved with minor league baseball? Affiliated with Major League, of course. Well, you know, I I don't know that that's that's going to be a decision that, that we're going to see in the near term. Um, I I do think that that Major League Baseball is still trying to sort out the minor leagues and what's the most uh, effective uh, developmental model uh, for us. All we can do as a staff and as a team is to is to put forth the best product not only on the field but off the field, you know, did I think we'd be having this conversation that we'd be in independent baseball? No, because I thought that we checked all the boxes and we were worthy of staying affiliated. I mean, the facility, the market, the fan support, the operation, uh, the ownership group. uh, 
I, to this day, still don't understand why Major League Baseball wouldn't want to have an affiliated team in, you know, the capital region of New York. It just doesn't make sense to me. But, hey, I've only been in the game three and a half decades, so maybe maybe I need to learn a bit yeah, more. Yeah, maybe four decades you had to be in there. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> what, can, what can fans look forward to this year for the 20th uh, anniversary celebration? It's an exciting year. Obviously, we'll continue to do you know our staple promotions, but one of the unique things about this year is that we're going to do Throwback Thursdays, and on every Thursday we're going to um, take um, you know a few years of of our history, and and we're going to reflect on them, and we're going to show um, you know whether it's a tribute to a particular team or. You know, try to reconnect with our with our past and remind our fan base that this is our 20th anniversary. So that's something new and exciting. We're reaching out to former players and getting some interviews done with them, so that we could um, put those on on the big board here at the Joe and gives us you know an opportunity for our fan base to 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 think about the 20 years that that, that we've been in the market and, and reflect on it and really enjoy it i mean it's quite an accomplishment well rick i mean i've enjoyed the times i've covered games here or just been here as a fan to watch games and it's it's, it's been a yeah wonderful product and uh congratulations 20 season maybe it's got 20 more in there well let's hope let's hope i'm around <laughs> in 20 years but no it's been fun thank you coming up I'll discuss the firing of New York Islanders head coach Barry Trotz with Stephen Wino of the Associated Press. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late-inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school, plus all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, I'm Kaylin Brown, Managing Editor of the Daily Gazette. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The New York Islanders made a surprise announcement uh, earlier this week when they announced that Barry Trotz will no longer be their coach. To talk about that is the man who covers the NHL for the Associated Press, uh, Stephen Wino, and uh, my fellow Holy Ghost Prep grad, uh, uh, Steve, how's it going? And uh, how shocked were you by this announcement? Great, great Ken. I, I, I was stunned just because, look, there have been some rumblings around the team just about changes coming. And you think at that point it's a lot of roster stuff. It's Lou Lamorello wanting to kind of tweak the roster, add some more talent back, salary cap squeeze and all that. But to, to see Barry Trotz, a guy who won the Stanley Cup four years ago, who had led the Islanders to the playoffs in their first three seasons and, and really didn't have a whole lot to do with their struggles this year in, in 
13-game road trip to start the season, the COVID absences, a string of injuries, just kind of a perfect storm of, of things going wrong with the Islanders that it's hard to pin on Barry Trotz. And really just shocking to me that, that, that a guy like Barry Trotz, even knowing Lou Amarillo's history, would get let go this quickly. A little bit of a surprise. I mean, I, I guess we should we should have known, given Lou's history uh, of kind of going through coaches like laundry, that this was a possibility. But still, uh, a Monday morning shocker in the NHL this week. Yeah, I mean, he's fired Jack Lemire, won a Stanley Cup. I remember back in 2005, Robbie for Torque. Uh, with the Devils late in that season and brought in Larry Robinson. And, season, right. Yeah, and then just uh, the Devils ended up winning the Cup that year. And, you know, obviously the series against the Flyers still is a bitter memory for, for me. But uh, uh, just, I mean, as you mentioned, Lou, it just, is that, I mean, some people are trying to, you know, figure it out. I just said basically it's Lou being Lou and he only knows uh, what the what he's doing. But uh, do, you, yeah, do, you, do you think, but, I mean, obviously, what, 79 years old? I mean, I mean, this camp, I don't think how many more years he has left to be the GM there, but, uh, I mean, it's like I said, it's kind of shocking. As you mentioned, really, just a, there was a, everything was just bad circumstances. Yeah, opening road trip, uh, 13 games, and they just really never seemed to recover from that. Yeah, and, and, Lou, and Lou said, and he, was, he was asked, did, did it have to do with the season? No, it didn't have primarily to do with the season. Did it have to do with Barry Trotz's contract having one year left on it? No, it didn't have anything to do with that. And yet he wouldn't tell us why. And that's very much a, a Lou Lamarello move to basically say, it's my decision, I, I told you so, that's why, and not really give a whole lot of reasons for, for his decisions. But I, I guess when you, when you zoom out to 10,000 feet, you wonder about, about ownership and, and giving Lou Lamarello the ability to, to, to cut ties with Barry Trotz, uh, a guy like Lou Lamarello who has not won anything in the salary cap era as a general manager uh, and, and had a fluke run, I guess, with the Devils in, in 2012 to the Stanley Cup final. But to, to kind of entrust him with making this decision – not knowing kind of what the long-term future is, is my biggest question about this whole thing. It is uh, Lula Amarillo, the Islanders have won with Barry Trotz as a coach and, and mostly Garth Snow as players uh, and a few tweaks Lula Amarillo has made along the way. I think if you say who gets the most credit, who deserves the most credit for the Islanders' success over the past four years, it's Barry Trotz more than Lula Amarillo. And, and that's the thing, I guess, from a league standpoint that, that, that raises the, the, the raises the eyebrows and some questions about the Islanders and their future. I mean, you, you took the Islanders to the uh, conference finals in the, in the bubble in 2020. Last year got to the uh, semifinals. Obviously, no conference played last year because of the pandemic. It was more of a, just a, you know, 16 teams thrown together. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm still – his track record, I mean, what he did in Nashville – for all those years, and winning the cup in Washington, I mean, why would you let a guy go like that? And, and you know what? And now that's one of the questions I've been getting this week. Also, is is does anything that, that happened in 2018 kind of connect to this of the Capitals basically letting Barry Trotz go? And there might be something to be said for just coaches in general and, and a shelf life, and 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 guys kind of wearing down on players, and and kind of how long can a coach be in a certain place for for a certain period of time Uh, other than john cooper in tampa bay you don't see coaches around for for more than three four seasons at a time and and this is uh, very much as john John cooper said the other yesterday that that it's it's a business where you're hired to be fired and and there's a culture of that uh but but still how can you argue with with the success barry trotz has had at at every stop along the way he took a national predators expansion team and turned that into a playoff team made made it made it seven out of 15 years won the Stanley cup with the capitals went to the playoffs every year there Went to the playoffs with the Rangers, the, 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 took the Rangers to the playoffs the first three years. Uh, the, the success speaks for itself. He's going to be a Hall of Famer one day. Third most wins of, of, of all time right now. It's 
it is a little bit perplexing. Uh, and to, to me, if I had to diplomatically explain kind of what happened, philosophical differences between Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello would be how I put it. I mean, just, just, yeah, the, uh, I mean, they butt heads. I mean, obviously, does Barry like a certain play a certain style and Lou wants to play a different style? I don't know if it's, if it's style of play as much as kind of how you approach everything. Because Barry Trotz is very much a, a, an open, honest, thoughtful guy. He wants to explain his, his thought process. He wants to talk and those sort of things. He does very long-winded media interviews, and we appreciate that in, in, in my line of work. Lou Lamoureux is very much a, I don't want to tell you what's going on, and any piece of information I give you is, is a disadvantage to my team. And, and, and I wonder how much of it, and this is not, this is not something that, that he has said, but I wonder how much of that played into it, of kind of how open and honest Barry Trotz is, flying against kind of the culture of, of, of Lou Lamorello on Long Island and kind of what he was in Jersey. Yeah. Where does Barry Trotz go from here? Do you I mean, obviously there's some job openings. Uh, the one particular one that the Flyers fans are enamored with, uh, they, they, like, they, they want the ownership group to uh, throw as much money as they can at Barry Trotz. Does he, I mean, does he look at Philadelphia as a chance? I mean, obviously that organization is really you know, bottomed out and, they really don't have the players right now, and they're uh, really drifting in the wind. And also, I think you have Winnipeg as po- maybe a possible destination as well. Yeah, look, if the Flyers have the, the ability to bring him in, and he is interested in staying on the East Coast and staying in the Metropolitan Division, they should absolutely do it. Our colleague Jordan Hall at NBC Sports Philadelphia did a kind of a pros and cons list, and, and to me, there's not a con here uh, for, for, for Barry Trotz and the Philadelphia Flyers. It, it seems like a match made in heaven, uh, a veteran general manager in Chuck Fletcher, a roster that even though things have gone awry, you get Ryan Ellis back healthy. You get Sean Kateri back healthy. You, you sign a free agent or two, kind of retool instead of remake the blue line, that this is a team that can contend for a playoff spot. And, and Barry Trotz along the way has, has gotten the most out of as much out of the talent that he's had. And he's adapted his coaching style to kind of what his personnel is. So I don't worry about him going into any locker room in the NHL and, and getting the most out of players. Winnipeg certainly wants him. The, 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 the Jets, the, 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 the market in Winnipeg would love for Barry Trotz to go home. He's a native of Dauphin, Alberta, or Dauphin, Manitoba, excuse me, and, and, and a local guy and, and kind of a, a returning hero of sorts for the Jets who have had their own problems in terms of kind of locker room strife and, and, and factions in there and, and missing the playoffs and Paul Maurice's stunning resignation in the middle of the season. Uh, that would be the leading candidates right now, but watch out for the Florida Panthers or the Colorado Avalanche. If they lose in the, if the Panthers lose this series to the Washington Capitals or in the second round, or if, and if, and if Colorado loses in the second round, that, that Barry Trotz could be that, that get over the hump coach for either one of those teams. And then don't forget the Nashville Predators. I, I don't know if, if a reunion there makes sense for all involved, but, Barry Trotz and his wife still have a house in Nashville, so you can't rule out a, a return to the Predators in some way. Even with a ton of speculation about Barry Trotz potentially wanting a management role, David Poyle may be ending, uh, nearing the end of his time as general manager there. I could see a, a, a fit of Barry Trotz having some sort of say in the personnel if he returned to Nashville. Let's talk a little about, oh, before we talk playoffs, what about Lou as far as who he would look for? I mean, is there anybody out there potentially that could be that new coach for the Islanders? Ken, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you two words for you, Mike Babcock, and then and, and he's a guy who Lou did not hire him in Toronto. He inherited him in Toronto, but they had a very strong working relationship. Mike Babcock is very, very loyal to Lou Lamorello. I, I don't think 
it's beyond reproach for an NHL team to hire Mike, Mike Babcock at this stage of the game. Uh, Joel Quenville might be a kind of a further step away, given how, how his involvement in the Blackhawks scandal and the allegations made in 2010 and 2011. Uh, and, and it might be too soon for Joel Quenville, although I don't know when that day might come. But it's a tough job to take, honestly, if you're, if you're a proven coach in the NHL because of the limitations there, maybe limitations on, on talent on that roster and salary cap issues and all that. Uh, I don't know what the, the Islanders' budget is going to be if, for some reason, they have to pay Barry Trotz out for the season. But Mike Babcock seems like the ideal kind of candidate. I, I don't think John Tortorella and, and, and Lou Lamarillo would, would mix very well there. I, I wonder about someone like Paul Maurice, who, who is also a, a, a good talker but is a little bit more reserved. Travis Green uh, played for the Islanders for, for many years and is, has NHL coaching experience. Uh, those are uh, among the names I think might be good fits. Do you think Babcock, I mean, obviously he can be very abrasive in uh, I mean, this day and age. Do you, do you really? I mean, coaches have to be careful with what they do or, or say. I mean, can he fit? Uh, would, would that be a controversial hire? I, it would be a controversial hire to some people. It would be. I do think Mike Babcock is a smart man who has the ability to adapt. He's an old-school coach who, who has done some things in the past that I think a lot of players have not appreciated, and it's it's made it seem like he's unhirable. I don't think he's unhirable. Now, can he coach like he did in, in, 19, in, in 2006, 2007? No, he can't. He can't do some of those things that were more acceptable a generation ago. But if Mike Babcock is able to adjust and adapt his coaching style, then I think he can still coach and win in the NHL. Well, let's talk playoffs here. Obviously, we're taping this on Tuesday night and right before the draft lottery. And the games, have, for the most part, I mean, we see a lot of series of two-two right now. But a lot of these games have not been competitive. I mean, we're seeing you know, routes, and it's kind of a been a weird first round. I mean, why? Why do you think we see games that are just you know blowouts? Yeah, I, I actually talked to some folks around the league about this the last couple of days and, and, and wrote this for, for the AP with my colleague John Warrow in Buffalo. And, and, and a lot of it seems to be uh, uh, power plays. A lot of penalty calls in this playoffs, over 10 penalties being called a game. That's up from, from six and a half in the regular season. So it's not even like just everything being called like the regular season. I think there are there have been more calls and there have been more power play opportunities uh, than any playoffs in, in recent history. And so you have a lot of those early in games and you have teams scoring power play goals and, and, you, and then you see kind of a, a, a lockdown at, at five on five. And, and the, after a season where I, I want to say the percentage was 78% of goals were scored at even strength during the regular season, it's down to 62% now. So you're not seeing a whole lot of when the teams are five on five pucks going in the net. There's still goals happening. 20 empty netters, which is crazy through 32 games, uh, and, and a lot of power play goals. And, and then Bruce Cassidy told my colleague in Raleigh today that it's good teams, and, and, and good teams know how to close out games when they get leads. So unlike the regular season where kind of the play is a little more loose, and you've got some teams that struggle in, in holding on to a lead. The only team that didn't erase a multi-goal deficit this season, of course, the Philadelphia Flyers, but every other team in the league did it at some point this year. Uh, it's only happened once in this playoffs this year for a team to erase a multi-goal deficit and, and win, and that was Pittsburgh in, in Game 1 against the Rangers. It's, it's been a very weird start to the playoffs with a lot of penalties, with not a whole lot of blown leads, and, and, and it's, just, it's just a strange combination of, of factors leading into that and, and, and causing 
what are kind of lopsided games in series that are very close because you see these games kind of getting away, but then there's empty netters in there and you start to look at it a little closer and you're like, these weren't really as, as much of a blowout as, as, as you think. And also a lot of coaches are pulling their goalie a lot sooner, Ken, and that's something that, that the analytics have shown over the last few years is a smart thing to do because the more time you have six on five, the better chance you have to score and, and tie a game late. So you're seeing a lot more risks being taken by coaches pulling their goalie and by guys shooting the puck down the ice for, for, for an empty net goal, sometimes hitting, sometimes missing, like the Capitals did in game four with the empty net and, and, and just kind of been missed it by a few inches. Would have won that game, been up 3-1. Instead, Florida ties it on, on, on a weird bounce, wins it in overtime, and you got a 2-2 series. So a lot of those kind of very big swings on very small moments in these playoffs. Yeah. What's the what? I mean, is that is a is league mandating the, the officials to call more penalties in the playoffs, do you think? So, so what the league did, did say is call it the regular season. And that's that's a message that the league has, has had consistently for several years now. And I think officials might be overcompensating a little bit and calling everything like almost on a super sensitive basis. Now, that's not a knock against NHL officials because as much as they get ripped, these guys are really good. You, you watch any international tournament and, and other levels of hockey, and you see how good NHL refs and linesmen are. They're fantastic at their job. I do wonder if the penalties are going to kind of decrease slowly as we go here, as players adjust to kind of what the standard of officiating is, and also officials adjusting to maybe not wanting to call an average of 10 penalties a game. What's the one series that's shocked you the most so far? Shocked? It's not been – I don't know if there's been a shocking series out there. I think there are two teams that surprised me with how well they played. And, and, and then the Penguins being one of them is I really thought the Rangers were, were a better team because of the goaltender in that series. And you got Pittsburgh losing Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jari to injury and turning to Louis Domingue. And all these things happen. And yet the Penguins just keep doing it. And our old friend Ron Hextall is running the show there. Yeah. And, and they still have the core of, of Mike Sullivan coaching with Sidney Crosby and Denny Malkin and Chris Letang, at least for one more run. And it just impresses the heck out of me that they managed to do this every year. I know they haven't had a whole lot of long, deep runs the past few years, but this is a team that knows how to how to play playoff hockey and win. And the other is the LA Kings. Although I didn't give a whole lot of credit to going into to the playoffs or a lot of chance to, to beat the Edmonton Oilers. I thought without Drew Doughty, the Kings would, would struggle a little bit to keep up with the offense of Edmonton. And when it's 2-1 in that series, it looked like the Oilers were going to roll from there big push from, from, from the Kings to, to, to tie it. The Kings are very much in this series, uh, and, and that's something that, that you got to credit Todd McClellan for, for getting that team getting that team kind of to play up to its potential. And also Jonathan Quick with some vintage performances like he had in Game 4, game four of that series. Yeah. Uh, of course, let me give a chance to promote your book that's coming out in October. It is uh, Odd Man in uh, Emergency Goaltenders and the Wildest One-Day Job in Sports. We've all seen the e-bugs. We saw Tom Hodges come into the game for the Anaheim Ducks, uh, the game 82 uh, in Dallas, uh, and, and we've seen David Ayers, Scott Foster. It's, it's uh, George Alves, the, the equipment manager in, in Carolina. Uh, book is out October 25th. I hope I, I did all these guys uh, a lot of justice of, of kind of telling their stories about what it was like for them to go into the game, what it was like for guys who just sat on the bench, almost got into a game, took warm-ups. It, it, it's the wackiest thing in sports to me is, is no other sport can you have someone who doesn't play in the league play in the league yeah. on any given night. Uh, it's something that, that, that may go away in time and, and, and rule changes and all that, but emergency backup goalies has always been a, a topic for the last few years that's fascinated me, and, and it was a thrill and a pleasure to turn into a book. Yeah, well, we can't wait to see that come out. You said October 25th, right? 
October 25th. So yeah, just just got done. The uh, uh, Brian Boucher wrote the forward. Our uh, unfortunately uh, from that 2000 playoff series you mentioned, but a, a, a good person, uh, someone I covered as a as a cup reporter in the NHL in 2010-11, and, and has been to a couple finals with the Flyers, and, and now an analyst for free ESPN. Uh, he did the forward for the book, and it'll be out in October. You can pre-order now on Amazon. Though. That's the day after my birthday, so I'll have to make it myself a birthday present. <laughs> it'll be a, it'll be a, a late birthday present. For <laughs> uh, Stephen, appreciate a few minutes, and uh, maybe we'll talk uh, as we get toward the final. Thanks, Ken. I'll talk to you soon, and, and see you in Saratoga this summer. Sounds good. That's Stephen Weinel. We'll wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division. And school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us? Look no further than high school sports in New York. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Will Brown, the head coach and general manager of the Albany Patroons. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 12 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is Mark Denton of Fultonville. Mark wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Mark. The VIP winners are Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment, Scott Lucier of Capital Land GMC, and me. Yes, it's my fifth win in the last six weeks. I'm back in victory lane, baby. <laughs> I'll announce the winner of the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click the Auto Racing Contest banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. And do it for your friends. I just got a booster shot on Monday, and a sore arm is well worth the, the uh getting that booster shot so uh go out there and please get vaccinated that wraps up another edition of the parting shots podcast i want to thank Derek whitterford rick murphy and Stephen wino for coming on the show if you have questions or comments about the podcast email them to me at shot that's s-c-h-o-t-t at dailygazette.com follow me on twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Gazette newspapers. I am Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.